Love does not run. Love does not hide. Love does not keep locked inside. Love is a river that flows through. Good morning, K3C. A very special appreciation, Pastor David, for the opportunity to minister here again today. Um, as you have heard, we are starting a new sermon series that will be running through the month of September. And this uh, series is on Christian relationships. We begin by asking ourselves the question, why relationships? Why would we be interested in relationships? Why, why are we doing this series? In answer to that question, number one, we are doing this because relationships are central to being Christians. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, brothers and sisters, the way we relate with each other is central to our being disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing shows us as believers in the Lord like the way we relate. When the world looks at us, they can tell that we are disciples from the way we relate with each other. Romans 12 uh, and verse 5 says, So in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I don't belong to myself, you don't belong to, you, to yourself. You belong, we belong to each other. We've been made into a body. We are one body. And we belong together. And therefore, how we relate is important. The second reason why we are looking at this series is because relationships are empowering. Relationships enable us to do much more and to be more productive. In fact, I could stretch this and say that the quality of the life we live is determined by the quality of relationships that we keep. We network through relationships. And through relationships we find mentors who help us grow. Our social lives, our R&R activities are enhanced by others and how we relate with them. Brothers and sisters, good relationships are a powerful encouragement for life. Have you ever wondered why in the prison system when they want to punish a deviant um, inmate, the worst punishment outside of the death sentence is solitary confinement. Because you keep a person, you keep a human being outside of relationships and you're, 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 you're really, really impacting negatively on them. In contrast, negative relationships are also a powerful drug to performance. We know many people who have been kept down 
because of the negative relationships, the, 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 the bad relationships that they've had in the past, and people who are just unable to move on. Their future relationships are affected. Their performance is affected. Their joy is affected because of the negative relationships of the past. The third reason why we are looking at this series is because relationships are central to purpose for meaningful life. You want to live a meaningful life, you must be in relationships. The church where I pastored a few years ago, I pastored for more than a decade. But that church had an interesting dynamic. You know one of the marks of a, of a healthy church is the ability for the rich, the poor, all, all kinds of people to feel welcome in a church. And so the church I pastored was a healthy church. We had some of the wealthiest Kenyans that I know mingling with some of the poorest people. Sunday after Sunday, I watched families as they arrived in multiple cars. But I also watched another group of people who arrived faithfully every Sunday. They were poor men and women from Huruma and Gidogoro slums of Nairobi. I remember one particular uh, old man. He was sick and he was weak. But he came every Sunday. He spoke Kikuyu and very basic Kiswahili. In fact, I had to learn a little bit of Kikuyu in order to communicate with him. But Sunday after Sunday, Mze Jackson came. Many people wondered why he came. Because he, he didn't even understand much of what was said. But still he came. And so one day I reached out to this man and was told the story of his life. His wife had left him many years ago. And his children never visited him at all. He lived in a shack in one of the settlements. And whatever the underlying story of this man, this was a man who was alone in the world. Um, I already alluded to the fact that he lived in a really humble dwelling. When I visited, I was, it was humbling. And we undertook a, pro, a, a project. We raised funds to rebuild his house. We installed water. We put a water tank. We got him some electricity just to help him to be a little bit more comfortable. My wife and I bought him a bicycle to ease his trans transportation needs and also his health needs as he cycles. He's also exercising his body. We committed to paying for his upkeep on a month-to-month -month basis. And eventually, we helped him to, to set up a business in his community. He could now earn an income and therefore pay for some of his bills. We gave this Mze dignity. We even reached out to his family to try and find reconciliation with them. And on one of the days uh, when his son and his nephew had come to church, he introduced me to them and he told them,
This is my pastor, a man who has loved me despite the fact that he's not from my community. Apparently, in the settlements, your tribe, where you come from, is very important. And so it, it ministered a lot to this man that I was not from his community, and yet I had loved him. I share that story to make the point that love brings people from the pit of despair Love gives people a new lease of life. Why did this old man and many of the people, many of the men and women from his community, why did they keep coming Sunday after Sunday? They hardly understood what we said, but they kept coming. I'll tell you why. They came because people cared. People where people find care, people will come. K3C, you want the people in this community to come? You want the people in this community to be impacted? Just show that you care. Relationships are key to finding purpose for meaningful life. Some of your neighbors here, their gates are so high. Electric fences have been installed. You don't know what's happening behind those walls. Behind those walls, I can guarantee you, there's a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. How do we show these people that we care? The fourth reason why we are going to undertake this series is because, and I think this is perhaps the biggest and most important reason based on our relationship with God. God loves you, brothers and sisters. And that's the truth. That's why he sends the rain to fall on both the sinner and the righteous. God loves us. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus, so that whoever believed in him would find eternal life. Our sin means that we don't have eternal life. Sin means that you deserve only damnation and hell. But God loves you. He loved each one of us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. He was opening up a relationship with you and me. That's what it means when the Bible tells us that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. You reconcile broken relationships so that they can be successful relationships. When you have Christ, you are reconciled with God. God loves you. And here's what he desires so much that he calls this the summary of the whole Bible. Firstly, God wants you to reciprocate his love. He has loved you so much but he wants you to reciprocate. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. God wants you to love him back. And that's worship. That's why we meet together to learn more about how to love him. That's why we give and celebrate our giving. 
because we love him too. He paid an amazing price for this relationship. Good relationships do not come cheap. How much is your relationship with God costing you? God wants you to love him back. But the second thing that God desires of you is he wants you to love your neighbor. That's the person next to you. And that's the person that you meet along the way. That's the person that, you, that works with you, your workmate. And that's the person in your home, your family. And most importantly, your spouse, if you have one. That's your neighbor. God wants you to love your neighbor. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39, and the second most important command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means establish relationships. Think about people. Care about people. Because relationships are important. They are so important that in John's first letter, he says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, if anyone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Yes, that first command is about the vertical relationship with God. But the horizontal relationship is also critical. If we can't love each other, how then can we ever claim to love God? It's as simple as that. But thirdly, God desires of us that we discover his nature. God is love. Just before the passage that we have read in 1 John chapter 4, this is what the apostle had to say. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, he writes and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Brothers and sisters, this thing is so critical. It's so, so important. It's the very essence of why we are here. This is the reason why we, we've left our homes to be here on a Sunday morning. For some of you men, your friends are probably playing golf. For some of you ladies, there are things to do. But this is the reason why we are here. But I want to say that all these are excellent reasons 
why we should be concerned about relationships. But the problem is that relationships don't always work. We struggle with people because people are people. People are sinners. They are selfish and they are unconcerned about us. They are insensitive and they seem to ignore our feelings. Relationships hurt. We get badly disappointed with even the best and closest relationships. Ask any husband or wife seated here today where their greatest relational pain comes from. How do we deal with conflict? How important is it to get married? Or can we find fulfillment as singles? Some of us because that seems to be where the cards are falling. But for others, because our marriage is no longer alive, perhaps because a spouse has died or a spouse has walked out on the marriage. What does the Bible have to say when marriage becomes too painful to endure? Brothers and sisters, we will during this series give you principles that will help you to deal with difficult relationships. We will be seeking wisdom from the word of God and hopefully at the end of this series you will be equipped to deal with your relationships better. But before we go into all those issues, I want to today call you to what I'm calling the fundamentals what should Christian relationships look like? I want you to think back at all the passages that we have already seen that deal with relationships. And you will notice one common word. And that word is love. That's the word that Jesus even used to describe the way we should relate to those that we consider our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, Jesus says, You've, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. The word in all these places, brothers and sisters, is the word love. The one fundamental ingredient for every relationship, the foundation of Christian relationship, therefore, brothers and sisters, is love. And to help us unpack what the Bible teaches about love, we will be considering 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it has come to be known as the love chapter. But before we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I want to give you some background. I want to point out that as you read 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 was never intended to be isolated. But it must be read together with chapter 12 and chapter 14. In chapter 12, Paul is exhorting the church. He is talking about 
the gifts within the body. And the young man, the boy, almost preached my sermon in the earlier service. I asked Pastor David, but how did he know? And that's where you know the Spirit of God is one, truly. God gives his gifts to the church. If you read chapter 12, it talks about the spiritual gifts that have been made available to the church. And so Paul is exhorting the church on how crucial it is for everyone to faithfully exercise their gifts for the good of the body and for the advancement of the kingdom. Then in chapter 14, Paul now talks about how this whole thing, when everybody is functioning in their gifts, you come here on Sunday morning, and there are people out there with the gift of hospitality. They shake your hand and show you where to park your car. You come in. There are wonderful people who are taking care of our security. That's a gift. You come inside and the ushers are shaking your hand, smiling at you. Then you come in here and the wonderful worship team is here leading you in worship. Those are gifts. Then later on, a service leader will come coordinating this whole thing, putting it together. And then later on, somebody like myself comes and breaks the word of God. These are gifts. And Paul is saying, it's of particular importance that everybody exercises their gift for the functioning of the kingdom. For the well-being and enhancement of the kingdom. In chapter 14, he paints a picture of how all this looks and how it all comes together. However, if you don't, in between these two chapters is chapter 13. If you don't understand chapter 13, you can't leave chapter 12 faithfully. And if you don't understand chapter 13, you'll miss the point of chapter 14 entirely. That whole section must be read together. I want you to notice that as Paul ends chapter 12, in the last verse he says, pursue the higher gifts. And then he says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This more excellent way, brothers and sisters, is the point of chapter 13. The more excellent way is the way of love. He's saying the gifts are important. They're important aspects of the Christian life and the body's flourishing. But the gifts are not the point. You and I don't leave our houses to come here because of the gifts. Any church that has put the gifts ahead of the higher way, which is chapter 13, is a church that misses the point. The gifts are not the point. The point, I submit to you, brothers and sisters, is love. Love is the field on which all of God's people and their gifts flourish. 
Colossians chapter 3 verse 12 to 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. A lot of good attributes that are being listed here. Paul is telling us, put these things on. These are fruits of, of the Spirit. But the thing that brings this whole thing together in perfect harmony is love. Love, beloved, is the glue that holds all aspects of our ministry, all aspects of our relationships together. It is love. Jonathan Edwards said, all that virtue which is saving and distinguishing of true Christians from others is summed up in Christian love. Love is the garden where all God's people and their gifts flourish. Everything we do every day is ultimately driven by what we love. You know, as you read the scriptures, you'll find that Jesus talks more about money than anything else. This is because he's making the point, he's saying to us that how somebody spends their money is the surest way to discover what motivates them. What they actually love. How we spend our money and our time shows us what motivates us, what gets us out of bed every day. It, it shows us what we actually love. Are you in a troubled relationship today? The reason may not be all those little things that are manifesting. The bottom line is love. Our issue, and we all come to this point, brothers and sisters, is not that we need motivation to live our lives according to what we love. We do that already. Rather, the issue is that we would begin to actually love according to what God loves and how God loves. If we can unlock that in our relationships, in our lives, if we can unlock it to actually love according to what God loves, and how God loves, then we will find that we, our relationships will be very different. Love is the foundation of every relationship, brothers and sisters. But how do we define love? Finding the meaning of love is a challenge for us because the English language is so limited when it comes to this word love. I think in English we have probably one or two words that really get to the meaning of love. The Greek language, and you know that the Greek is the language of the, of the New Testament. The, 
the Greek language has four really deep words for love. I'm not going to go into, into, into those words today. But what we have to recognize as we think about love and as we try to understand and define love is first and foremost that love is about self-denial. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is pride. Sin is fundamentally an orientation to self. To truly know, experience, and work out biblical love, you don't require happiness or affinity. You don't need to be happy to love. You don't need affinity to love. Rather, you require selflessness. To truly love, you have to die to yourself. And that's the foundational framework for understanding Christian love. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 to verse 5 says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, Christian love is a selfless love. It is a concept where I'm actually thinking more about you than about myself. I look at you and I consider you better than myself. Whoever teaches that. But what does this mean for you as a husband? What does this mean for you as a wife? What does this mean for you as a daughter or a son? What does this mean for you as a parent? What does this mean for you as a, as a friend? As an employer or an employee? Friends, this is revolutionary. This is countercultural. This is not how we are taught to think by the world. This is different. And Paul then gets into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to tell us what this love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. 
Church, this to me is one of the most frightening passages in all of the Bible. Paul is saying in essence, we can do all that God has gifted us. I can attain the highest level of spiritual maturity. I can perform the most selfless acts. I can make the ultimate sacrifice as a mortal man can make for the good of God and for others. But without love, all this is nothing. It's nothing. What have we done as a church? We have put the cart before the horse. We're going to churches and we are being told, give to the poor and do this and do the other. Paul is saying, we can do all these things, but if we do them without love, all of this is zero. Nothing. The frightening question that we have to ask in light of this passage is, how is it possible? The answer to that question is the point of the entire chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It's a detestable sound when what drives us is not love. There is a church in this city of Nairobi a wonderful church, theologically sound, fantastic vision, great leadership, a good church. And this church has a vision for church planting. And they have planted churches in Nairobi. They've planted churches in the rest of Kenya. They've gone beyond the boundaries of Kenya. They're planting churches all over Africa. They are now planting churches in Europe. They're planting churches in the Americas. They have churches in Australia. They have moved into Asia and they are planting churches. A wonderful movement. However, when you interact with people who have worked for this church and have left this church and have interacted very closely with this church, you find a long list of very wounded people, very broken people, People who have been discarded, they've been thrown out and left to die. Paul says, this is, it amounts to nothing. It is detestable. And I want you on the same vein to think about your relationships. What drives you in those relationships. Fine, you are spending all the money you can on your family. You're doing the best you can in your relationships. But what drives you in that relationship? Your children are not looking for your money. Your children are not looking for wealth Wealth is good. I'm not saying don't get wealth. But the motivation, the drive in any relationship, if it is not love, the Apostle Paul says it amounts to nothing. 
our biggest challenge is that love ultimately cannot be about us. You know, the church has developed a tragic version of Christian love in what has come to be known the cup analogy. We often say that we are a cup and God fills this cup, God fills us with his love. And that love fills up. And when it, when it gets full, it then overflows over onto others. Have you ever heard that theology? I think it is terrible, a terrible and faulty hermeneutic. If I view myself as a cup that God needs to keep on filling with his love, and only when it gets full and runs over will people actually get the dregs of what falls over, then I think I've missed the purpose entirely because I've made the point of love to be me. The cup mentality holds that the highest and primary purpose of God's love is you. That doesn't line up with what Apostle Paul is describing here. The primary way we understand, experience, and live God's love is when we live out of God's love. Another way of saying that is that the primary way to understand the love of God is not by living in it, but rather by living through it. Nabil Qureshi is an author, was an author. And he wrote a book entitled, an award-winning book. The title was Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Check it out. A very good book. It's a biographical story of a Muslim coming to faith. He grew up as a Muslim in a Muslim home. And he talks about... In this book, he talks about one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest hurdles for him as he considered coming to Christ. You know, in the Muslim faith, if you renounce the faith and turn to another religion, then your family is obligated to exile you. They ostracize you. You're no longer... Their, their child, you're no longer their, their relative. And so this was a big hurdle for a young Muslim man contemplating coming to the faith. But after he comes to Christ and his family has been forced to ostracize him, he cries out and he says, God, I wish you would have killed me when you saved me. I wish you would have just let me die and taken me home. Because to be alive and watch the agony that my family is going through as they grieve the loss of their son. I can't take it. To them, I'm dead, I'm gone. It was a real deep struggle for this man. Then he has a moment as he's praying and reading the scriptures where the Lord begins to open his eyes. And the following is a quote from what he said, he writes and he says, While I was wallowing in self-pity, focused on myself 
there was a whole world with literally billions of people who had no idea who God is, how amazing He is, and the wonders that He has done for us. They are the ones who are really suffering. They don't know His hope, His peace, and His love that transcends all understanding. They don't know the message of the gospel. After loving us with the most humble life and the most horrific death, Jesus told us, as I have loved you, go and love one another. How could I consider myself a follower of Jesus if I was not willing to live as he lived, to die as he died, to love the unloved and give hope to the hopeless? He says, in essence, when I was praying and reflecting on the pain I'd caused, I realized my problem was I was viewing it as it being about myself. And I realized God's love was not about me. When I did that, the pain in these people began to have a different purpose. By the way, later on, Nabil Qureshi went to be with the Lord. He died of cancer. And at his death, uh, members of the Muslim community said that this was punishment from the gods. This was punishment from Allah. But Nabil had the strength of mind because of this transformation that had taken place to reconcile with his family. He reconciled with his family before he died. His family tried to prevail on him to come back to the Islamic faith, but he refused. Brothers and sisters, we are not intended to be cups for God, for God's love, but rather we are conduits for God's love. Christian love is not about this private reservoir created for you by God, but rather it's a river of life that now flows through you from God into every relationship you have. Self-centeredness is one of the great hurdles to understanding God's love. And it's a great hurdle in any relationship. You cannot have a healthy relationship when you're self-centered. Think about your relationships. Are you in a struggling relationship today? Perhaps you need to look inwardly because self-centeredness is not the ideal. Another huge hindrance for many of us understanding and extending God's love is that the relationships that were intended to image, image God's love, those relationships were imperfect and they hurt us. We have been hurt in previous relationships, many of our misconceptions of God's love come through our negative experiences from those who are supposed to be examples of God's love to us. For example, if you had, if you had a mother or a father, a spouse or even a pastor who was abusive and neglectful, then it impacts you and you struggle to fully understand what love is. 
that could carry on into your marriage that could carry on into your professional life that could carry on into your relationships with other people because all you've known is heart if what was supposed to be a relationship to image God's love to you brought you heart and shame then you probably don't feel very equipped to extend that love to others Paul in this few lines is recapturing and he's redeeming love as we know it this love from God he's explaining it to us he's addressing it in a new way what does he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 4 he writes love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects it always trusts it always hopes it always perseveres and then he concludes that section by writing in verse 8 love never fails you know friends that cannot be the kind of love that I'm used to the feeling kind the affectionate feeling or that personal attraction I know that this come and go depending on how I feel and how you treat me they are important but they are affected by circumstances but this love that Paul is describing here the agape love this is different this is commitment this is sacrifice this is a serious decision brothers and sisters and that's what the foundation of Christian relationship is a love that is not about me it's about you I and my satisfaction are not the goal of my love our world these days focuses so much on how relationships must serve you and if they don't you're encouraged to scrap them what we see in this is not an opportunity to serve myself it is an opportunity to be like God and I'm going to be inviting you and challenging you brothers and sisters to think about your own relationships you need you probably just need today to come to the altar and make that decision make that sacrifice determine in your heart that this is how you want to live out your relationships then Paul says in verse number 11 when I was a child I talked like a child I thought like a child I reasoned like a child when I became a man I put childish ways behind me now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully 
even as I'm, as I'm fully known. And then in verse number 13, he concludes and says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. You know, all these things that we hold dear, they will pass away. But there are three things that will go with us into eternity. And Paul lists them there. He says, faith, hope, and love will go with you beyond the grave. But of these three, the greatest is love. Paul tells us that if we don't understand things this way, then we just need to grow up. When I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I became old, I began to see things differently. Just, we just need to grow up. Put away the old way of looking at things and look at them right. When I think about the kind of love that God is showing to us here, I feel as though I need a brain transplant. It's a completely new way of looking at things and it doesn't come naturally. The encouragement for you, brothers and sisters, today is that God is with you in this. God is not just calling you to live an impossible thing. He's not calling you to an impossible task. God is with you and has made provision for you to be able to live this life that is calling you to. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 to 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self that is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Yes, the old ways pull you back. They hold you tight. But I like what it says in verse number 23. He, Paul says, be made new in the attitude of your minds. It's all here. The transformation of the way I think is not just my effort. It's Jesus, it's God who does the renewing and the transforming as I submit myself to him. He transforms my mind and he helps me to see things in a brand new way so that I can live my life in the way that pleases him. He has put in me the full potential to be like him. Thank God. Brothers and sisters, you and I know that relationships are important. But I want us to remember this. They are not just important. They are critically so. The primary way the world will know that we are truly followers of Christ is by how we love. But what do we see today, particularly in the church? At the break, I took opportunity to Google the church in Kenya. I'll tell you what came up. 
The church in Kenya, Google, there's an article there by a man called Kahura, and it's entitled Mana from Hell, how the church in Kenya became a refuge for politicians. Then the next, the next item that comes up, Kenya's richest churches ripping billions from worshippers. Then the next item that comes up is Prophet O'War's Bishop in Sex Scandal, and so on and so forth. The church has lost its witness. The church continues to lose its credibility. Why? Because we are not living the way God has called us to live. Our witness is being diminished simply because we have forgotten the way of love. Love is the music of heaven that captures the attention of the world. Love is the point. As followers of Christ, it flows from God through us and endures forever. And the foundation is agape love. You don't have to be affectionate with everyone. You can't. And God is not telling you to do this. We are being asked to be like God and have a deep down committed love that sacrifices self for the sake of others. God has put the potential for us to do this through His Spirit in us. Church, God loves you. And that's, that's the starting point. That's where we start. And He wants you to share in His nature, to walk in love, which is also the most important sign that you have Him in your life. Because only He can enable you to love May we be a people who have been captivated by this love so that we may radically live it. Amen. Pastor David, would you come and just pray for us? Trust me. When my heart won't make a sound When I can't turn back around When the sky is falling down